Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss uh, a topic that has been bandied about by so many people over the course of these last few weeks, and it is okay. Everything's going to be fine with the MVP race. I know Nuggets fans are both, they, they want to hear it, and they're sort of annoyed by it, and I understand both. Uh, entirely, completely. It is a big deal in my mind to uh, for Nikola Jokic to be a part of this even and, and for the, him to have played as well as he has. Uh, I am excited to be able to continue to go through with it and for, for him to be a part of this on a consistent basis should be really, really good. Uh, how is everybody doing? I am excited on this Friday. We've got a little bit of an off day. The Nuggets practice today. Uh, this Nuggets team, they seem to be in a pretty good place. They seem to be in a good spot. And it is very, very cool to be able to uh, just be completely relaxed with this and, and to not really worry about uh, too terribly much after you go three and two in a road trip. Yes, Denver has a lot of other things that they've got to worry about. But the one thing that I think has presided over a lot of the national discussion uh, has been the MVP race. And I think it's dumb. I think that I, I wrote about it today. I think that it has been pretty dumb. And I'm not surprised that things have gone the way that they have. Uh, look, the MVP race at this point is... It's one thing. It is supposed to be fun. It is supposed to be an enjoyable thing. It is supposed to be something that Nuggets fans look forward to, uh, that NBA fans look forward to, to be able to celebrate that their player is a part of this ultimate discussion of, oh, are they the best player in the world? Are they somebody that, or is this a player that you can trust to be uh, the most impactful are they like more than anything they're just a player that each fan base is going to go to bat for and obviously that's happened obviously that's been something that between Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid each of these fan bases have really gone to bat for their guy and those guys have risen to the top they've risen to these moments for the most part and put themselves into a position where i think any one of the votes would be very reasonable any one of the votes would be perfectly fine. Uh, I am over the actual discourse, though. And I wrote an article on milehighsports.com. I tried to discuss this from just a objective perspective where you don't necessarily have to go full bore for your own guy in order to make a justification for why they should be the MVP. I think any of these three guys can be justified. And in that article, I made some justifications for all three players. I talked about the larger perspective that I have for this, that this is about the big man. This is about the NBA evolving, uh, teams both evolving to play with Joel Embiid and Giannis and Jokic and players like that, as well as to play against them in those moments. And it is pretty cool to be able to I kind of go through that. Um, thank you, Alex. I appreciate that. He says great article on, on the on the side, and and it was it was good. I I wrote about twenty five hundred words. I made a lot of cases for each of the each of the individuals, and I think that's where it should really come down to. You don't have to tear people down. 
in order to make a case for the player that you think should win. And it, it shouldn't be this difficult, and yet it has been. Uh, Michael Malone at practice today doubled down on the notion that, hey, <laughs> the, the conversation is the worst it's been from a discourse, ugliness, uh, like I think insensitive argument perspective that, than it has been in 20 plus years for him. And, and he would know. He's been a part of these conversations having been on coaching staffs with Nikola Jokic, with Steph Curry, with LeBron James, all these different players that that you can you can say, yeah, he he knows a thing or two about the hate that great players receive. And seeing it from Jokic's perspective, like he's never asked for any of, of that entire part of the discourse. And yet I feel like a lot of the fan base is most notably in Philadelphia, but I think Milwaukee's absolutely taken a part of that too. Denver fan base in general has has taken part in trying to reciprocate some of that hate, but obviously not to the to the general vociferousness that uh, Philly has. But look, it is is natural, I think, for people to want to defend the honor of their player when they think they got screwed. If you are the Philly fan base, they think that they are. Uh, just uh, they're having the curtain pulled over their eyes, basically, on what they think should have been an MVP award for for their particular player. And I understand why. I, I do get it. I think that Jokic was deserving in each of the past two years and, and earned it and was the rightful choice. I do believe that. I think that if the Sixers had won more games last year, then it would have been different. But right when basically the race was decided... I think the Sixers had won just one more game, uh, two more games, and then they ultimately finished with, I think, three more wins than the than the Nuggets did that year, but uh, last year. But that was ultimately because uh, the Nuggets sacked guys at the at the very end. But look, this isn't the most important thing. I think I think the most important thing for this MVP race should be able to make a case for each of the individual players without tearing each other down. I'm not the first person to have that take, but if you want to hear a little bit more of an in-depth discussion on that. I went into it on Jokic, on Embiid, on Giannis, while also talking about how the big man position has evolved. Uh, The case for Jokic, I think, is pretty simple. He put up great numbers in each of the last two years, and he's putting up comparable numbers this year, and is doing so by nearly averaging a triple-double at 9.9 assists per game. And that's crazy. That's just a crazy number to think about from the center position. Another number that I think people don't understand or fully comprehend is that when Jokic accumulates 10 assists or more, the Nuggets are 32-3. and Him hunting for assists is really just hunting for wins. Uh, The the triple-double stat was like that earlier this year as well, where anytime he got a triple-double, I think he's had like 28 triple-doubles. The Nuggets are now, I think, 26-2 and when he has a triple-double, something like that. But most important thing for the Nuggets is that when Jokic is playmaking and others are scoring, the Nuggets are winning. And his elite team impact has the highest net rating of any of the guys. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to argue for him to be the best player and to argue for him to have the most impactful season, which is how I personally define the award. I think that it should be the player who is the most impactful that season. And most of that is from a, like, it's kind of half and half from the team perspective and the individual perspective, but I think in Jokic's case, he does both. So he's also redefined what's possible at center by 
opening the door for players like Demonte Sabonis and uh, Alper and Shangun to have a dream to be able to anchor offenses in a way where they they can be seen as elite level players, despite the fact that neither of them are great defenders like like Jokic. And Jokic isn't a good defender. I think he's average to maybe slightly above average right now, but uh, is that good enough? I don't know. And especially when comparing to Giannis and Embiid, I'm, I'm not surprised that he has had as much brushback as he has from those fan bases where they say defense is another part of the game. And I, I look, I get it. I get it. You're, you're going to want to defend your guy. It is completely understandable. The case for Giannis, in my mind, is that he's the most valuable defender on any of these and of any of these candidates, where his positional versatility, his willingness and ability to operate in different schemes, I think has helped elevate what was already a really great Bucks defense to becoming the best defense in the NBA. I, I think that they are objectively the best defense, uh, though he does have great help. He does have Drew Holiday on the perimeter, one of the best perimeter defenders in the world. He has Brooke Lopez, one of the best interior defenders in the world. However, it's not like the, the rest of that roster is teeming with fantastic defensive personnel. It's those three guys who are really lifting things up. And uh, Giannis does still get credit for that because he connects that team in a way where they can do a whole bunch of different stuff. They can play a more aggressive scheme. They can play a more conservative scheme. They can switch. They can do whatever they need to do to stop the opposing team. They have done so this year, which and and Giannis, as as we've seen in the playoffs so far, I think has done that to a T. He has been absolutely monstrous when it comes to the defensive end. He's also just an unstoppable freight train on the offensive end. He also does some crazy stuff on the offensive end. He takes up most of like the most possessions in the entire NBA from a usage rate standpoint. He draws the most free throws uh, from a, a dominant standpoint where teams just cannot stop him. Now the Nuggets had this happen where they I think they held him to like two free throws, three threes, three free throws in the first half of the game. And then in the second half, they allowed 19 free throw attempts to the point where he had 22 in the game. And that's because he wasn't stoppable. Like they, they struggled with him massively. Uh, and then the other part of that argument is he may just be objectively the best player. And a lot of people are having this debate when they talk about LeBron James and they talk about Michael Jordan. Like, why didn't those guys have more MVP awards? I, I have a counter for that, but I'm not going to go into it now. One of the reasons that people think of Giannis as maybe the best MVP candidate is, they pick, is because they think he's the best player in the world. And sometimes fans overthink it. Sometimes media overthinks it when trying to craft a narrative for other people. And so I think the case for Giannis is pretty simple. You're going to want to give the award to the best player, especially the best player right now. And if it's close enough that you think, hey, they're having similarly impactful seasons, then why not give it to the guy that you actually just think is the best of all of them? I think that Giannis has that nod right now. I think it's fair to give him that nod right now, but I also don't think that he's infallible. I think that he has weaknesses, and to dis- to describe him as a guy that doesn't have weaknesses, I do think is wrong. But uh, I can understand why people go that direction. I can understand why people take that perspective. What I do think is that his impact this year has not been 
at the level of a Yana, uh, at the level of Embiid or Jokic. And as a result, I wouldn't vote for him if it were me. But that, I'm not going to say that it's crazy for other people to do so. And finally, for Embiid. I think he's been the best scorer in the NBA, and it's not really close. Uh, Jokic has the highest true shooting percentage in the NBA on volume, and he does deserve credit for that. His is above 70. But the fact that Embiid has a 37% usage rate and a 65% true shooting percentage is unbelievable. It is probably what is going to win him the award. Because while he is a physically imposing defender, a more a more complete defender in general than Jokic is, what really separates him from other like from for a lot of people is that on the offensive end, people can make the argument that Embiid is a better offensive player than Jokic because he is a more unstoppable dominant force on that offensive end. Where Jokic will sometimes be a little bit more finesse, where he struggles to draw foul calls at various points, where uh, he can't get to the free throw line as often, uh, he sometimes doesn't want to take certain shots and then it can lead to turnovers. With Embiid, he doesn't really have those issues as often, and I can understand why people would want to credit him for that, especially when people have said it's as close as it has been over the course of the previous two years. If it really is close and it's like a 1A, 1B situation and they kind of flip-flop between how you feel about them, then why shouldn't Embiid get it? Now, uh, the better defense than Jokic, of course, I I think that's a a fair point. I think that the Sixers, ranking sixth in the NBA in defensive rating right now, that means something to me. It is only two points per 100 possessions uh, better than Denver, but the Sixers also have a better net rating now than the Nuggets. And Embiid, I think, is the biggest part of that, obviously. So Denver and Jokic, they still have a little bit of work to do, I think, to catch up to Embiid, who is leading in that race right now. Embiid has rounded out his game enough where it's fair to say that he is uh, he's the most dominant offensive center in the NBA at times, where I know that Jokic can control the game and does control the game and does do amazing things on the offensive end. And if I had a vote, like I would probably decide between Embiid and Jokic. And I, I think it's fair to give that credit to Embiid right now. Is that capable of changing in the course of this weekend or on Monday night if those two play and then Jokic just looks worlds better than Embiid in that game? Sure. I think that those moments matter. It also does matter that Embiid had 47 points against Jokic in what was a very, very important matchup for those two individually. Jokic probably didn't take it as seriously as Embiid did. So Embiid gets a little bit more credit for that one. Like he, I think it, it works to his benefit, but also to his detriment at times. So, look, I, I think that this is a race where all three of them are worthy winners. All three of those guys are incredible talents. And the larger part of the story is that the MVP race, I think, shadows or at least it foreshadows what's going to be an epic playoff run in an epic couple of years, where these guys have been doing battle for each of the last few years for a while. Now they are going to try to break through and break over the top. And only one of those guys, and in just one year, in Giannis has really made it to the NBA Finals and actually delivered. Each of those guys have been stopped by small ball, have been stopped by uh, various matchups that have taken them out of what they're of what they want to do. Denver could not get past Golden State. They could not get past Phoenix, despite the fact that Jokic was probably the best player in each of those 
two series. And it didn't matter because they didn't have the matchups. And being a great center can sometimes still be a struggle. I think that this is where, like in these playoffs, that has to change. And I think this MVP race, it reflects how dominant those guys are, but also that they need to do more in the playoffs these upcoming years. If Embiid wins the MVP and then falters again in the first or second round, he's going to get laughed at and probably should, if we're being honest. If Jokic loses in the first or second round, when Denver has been clearly the best team in the West for much of the season, then he should get laughed at. Uh, Giannis, I think same thing. If that team loses in the first or second round and, and doesn't really make it to the Eastern Conference Finals or looks bad going up against the Celtics or something like that, then they should be laughed at. I think that each of those individual guys are such dominant forces that they should be meeting in the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. And there should be wars being fought over who is the better player in an NBA Final Series that is actually defined and decided on the big stage. That would be super cool. I hope, in general, that people can kind of take away that part of the conversation and not really too focus, not focus too heavily on the ugliness of the debate and the racism narratives and the stat padding narratives. And uh, I, I will absolutely, I think, take solace in, in if those guys lose, if, if Embiid and the Sixers lose early, I will absolutely take pleasure in it, but not necessarily from a, like, not from a vindictive standpoint. Like, it shouldn't have to be this bad. It shouldn't have to be this ugly. And I know Nuggets fans are struggling with that themselves. What I will say is just try to be above the noise if possible. Support your own guy. Jokic is going to write this narrative for himself and, and take, his, take his lead on it. If he doesn't care about it, you shouldn't care about it either. I know you want to care about it for him. You want him to be, uh, I, th- I think, celebrated in that light as often as possible, as brightly as possible. But Jokic doesn't want that. I think Jokic just wants to win. and. All of the energy should be going towards Denver winning playoff games and Jokic being the best version of himself that he could possibly be there, not from the MVP race. That's not how this goes. So let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to preview some of those matchups between the Nuggets and Bucks and the Nuggets and Sixers upcoming this weekend for Denver. But first, this podcast, as you know, folks, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook. You don't need to find a pot of gold to strike it rich this March. Uh, instead, win money on your tournament wagers with Superbook Sports. My brother, he was upset and strongly so at the fact that as a UCLA alum, he was so happy at the prospect of them coming back to take that lead late against Gonzaga, only for Julian Strother of, of, UC, of uh, Gonzaga to hit a dagger of a three-point shot. Uh, it was it was a killer. I was watching with him. He was he was absolutely distraught, and it sucks. But that is honestly what March Madness is about. It's about the heartbreak, but it's also about the joy. And you can have that heartbreak and joy when you make certain bets as well. And Superbook, they're going to feature the best team of odds makers in the business to help you out with that. They're the safe bet when it comes to sports gambling. You have a direct line to their experienced staff behind the counter in Las Vegas. They also have one of the most extensive betting menus around. No matter what 
you want to wager on come tournament time, Superbook is sure to have it. Download the Superbook app and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back and pick action roll. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackman here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. If you can, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Also, uh, make sure to hit the like button if you're watching on YouTube right now. Really appreciate it. Uh, always love to see a consistent audience hopping into the comments section, making sure that they are uh, hanging out. I've, I've got the, the view counter it's broken on, on the StreamYard product that I'm using. So I'm not really sure how many people are watching, but uh, really do appreciate it regardless. Thank you so much for tuning in if you do. All right. Let's now discuss this matchup. Nuggets-Bucks, Saturday night. The Bucks, unfortunately, will be uh, they will be in Utah on Friday night. I'm not sure what the status is for Giannis. I'm not sure what the status is for the rest of that team. I have to imagine that they are going to play their guys. They're going to try to get that win and then see how they feel heading into Saturday's matchup against the Nuggets. Uh, We will see whether they actually do play those guys. But assuming Denver does face them, assuming Milwaukee brings their entire complement of players to Denver, I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup. I think it's going to be a high-level matchup for those two teams. Uh, The Nuggets have not been playing their best basketball post-All-Star break, but the Milwaukee Bucks have. They are second in the NBA in net rating. They're 11-4 post-All-Star break. And a lot of the narrative at the beginning of the season, and, and even like midway through, was just how bad their offense was for a while. Now with Chris Middleton kind of working his way back, feeling better, integrated into what they're doing, sixth in offensive rating post-All-Star break, last 15 games, it's pretty good. That is pretty good. They also have Joe Ingles, who's running pick and roll off the bench, uh, feeding Brooke Lopez on a consistent basis, doing a great job of playing that pick and roll and setting up his teammates. Brooke Lopez is fantastic. Joe Ingles is fantastic. I love that particular group, because it makes a lot of sense. It just is very logical. And they added Jay Crowder as well, who just ups the overall, I think, consistency factor and the legitimacy factor for their rotation. I'm not sure how often he plays, but it does seem to me like their entire rotation makes sense now. They still start, they still start Grayson Allen. They still start, uh, they've got Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen. I think Chris Middleton's back in the starting lineup, if I'm not mistaken than Giannis and Brooke. And that group is obviously awesome on the defensive end. It is going to be tough for Denver to both defend and score against that particular team. Uh, On Saturday, uh, and spoiler alert, I won't actually be there. Uh, I'm going to a bachelor party up in Blackhawk, and that should be a lot of fun. Uh, But uh, yeah, I was was actually really disappointed, if I'm being honest. Don't don't tell tell the... the, uh, the groom, that that's actually how I feel about, about his bachelor party. 
But look, it's going to be very fun, and and I hope Nuggets fans really enjoy this because this should be a great environment as long as everybody's playing, as long as everybody is uh, fully invested into the game. And if you're Denver, I think it's going to come down to how well you can defend Giannis without overloading to him. Because Chris Middleton has killed Denver before. Drew Holiday has killed Denver before. Brooke Lopez has killed Denver before. And if it's not any of those guys, Grayson Allen has shown the ability to just get absolutely hot from three. And if those things happen, then it's going to be frustrating for Denver. They're going to have a lot to figure out. Uh, Now, I think that Denver's going to bring their entire starting group in, and they will probably have KCP defend Drew Holiday. They will probably have Jamal defend Grayson Allen. They'll probably have Michael Porter defend Chris Middleton. Aaron Gordon will guard Giannis, and Jokic will guard Brook Lopez. They could also switch some of those matchups. Maybe they put Jokic on Giannis. Maybe they put uh, Michael Porter on Brook Lopez. Maybe they put Aaron Gordon on Chris Middleton. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if they mix and match things, but in general, that's an amazing starting lineup that Milwaukee has, and Denver's starting lineup is obviously amazing, but I do think that they're more amazing from a traditional sense where they are going to play pretty well against most teams, but against the Bucs, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure what that's going to look like. I think that outside of the obvious matchup, I think the Chris Middleton versus Michael Porter matchup should be really fascinating uh, because Middleton is not the best defender right now. He's probably the weak link, maybe him or Grayson Allen, when it comes to defending on the perimeter, keeping up with the rotations, making sure that they're doing what they want to do. Uh, and then I think the drop coverage that the Bucks generally use against opposing teams, they're not going to be able to do that as much against Jokic and against Murray. I think if I'm if I'm handicapping things, they will probably uh, play a little bit higher at the level, uh, just so that they can switch some of those matchups if necessary, or they'll rotate over Giannis from the weak side and maybe not guard Aaron Gordon as strongly. But what that's going to do is it's going to put the team in rotation, and then maybe give Michael Porter a couple of opportunities to get free. Uh, there's that highlight from his rookie season, if I'm not mistaken of Michael Porter spinning against Chris Middleton in transition and dropping him to the ground, hitting a pull-up two. And that was an an obviously awesome highlight. And there are definitely reasons to believe that Porter could show up in this particular game, that he could be the difference maker, that if he goes off for 20, 25 efficient points, gives Denver that extra edge. Maybe Jokic doesn't have to be perfect. Maybe Murray doesn't have to be perfect against Drew Holiday, against Giannis, against Brooke. Uh, that to me is the one that I'm looking at because if Michael Porter can also defend Chris Middleton reasonably well, that gives Denver an edge where obviously Drew Holiday is great. Obviously Giannis is great. Brooke Lopez can do what he's doing. But if Chris Middleton is also back to going like 20 and 5, on a consistent basis, then that makes the Bucks really, really difficult to stop. So that's one that I'm watching for sure. I do think that if the Nuggets can run against the Bucks, then they will have a good opportunity. If the Nuggets can hit their threes against the Bucks, they'll have a great opportunity. The most important thing that the Bucks do now that they didn't used to do 
is that they defend the three-point line really well, in addition to defending the rim. Uh, they try to get the best of both worlds, and it actually really helps them, of course. Like, like hey, who, who would have known that defending the rim and defending the three-point the three line was a really good idea? Uh, but they have done that for sure. And it makes a lot of sense how they have attacked it, but Jokic bends the defense in ways that I don't know if the Bucks are prepared for. I don't know if they're going to be able to guard him. Brooke is a fantastic defender, uh, full stop. Giannis is a fantastic defender, full stop. Drew is a fantastic defender, full stop. Those guys are great. Denver still has to win those starting minutes because anytime they don't win the starting minutes when Jokic plays, uh, they are 3-13. and 13. Now, Denver's 30-6 and six at home. It feels safe to say that Denver should win those minutes, even though it's against a really, really good team. But if they don't, then obviously that puts Denver at a massive disadvantage. And it's there's no doubt that that could happen. So I don't want to make any predictions. I think that that's bad juju. But I do think in general that if the Nuggets can win the starter minutes, they should have enough flexibility to be able to get it done. Let's now get to the Nuggets-Sixers matchup. I should talk about this more with Swiper. I'll be back doing uh, weekends with Swiper on Sunday, and so we'll be able to recap what happened with the Nuggets-Bucks game. I'm sure he'll bring me up to speed. I'm sure he will be very hyped if the Nuggets win, or he'll bring uh, some, some sort of narrative if the Nuggets lose, and, and that should be interesting too. But the last couple times we've had to recap games there, well, we'll spend some time recapping that one too, but uh, in, in general, this should be a very fun time to do weekends with Swipe Up. Uh, but Nugget Sixers on Monday, we'll obviously preview that one then, but I want to spend some time previewing it now too. I think Embiid's going to play. I know that he was questionable, I think it's tonight against Golden State. Either it was tonight or on Saturday when he was questionable and I think that he's going to do what he possibly can do against uh, Jokic. I think he wants to have that matchup. He wants that smoke. He wants to prove it, that he can do it. Uh, If he is hurt, though, if he is injured, then maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't play. And that would be really disappointing, obviously, because I know Nuggets fans are, they're wanting that smoke as well. They would like to see uh, Jokic really kind of get some revenge for what happened on January 28th. But if you're the Nuggets, you have an opportunity against a really, really good Sixers team to make another statement, not just against the Bucks, who are second in net rating, but against the Sixers, who are 11-3 and post-All-Star break and are first in net rating. They are awesome. The Sixers have been great, and James Harden has turned himself into an unbelievable contributor uh, honestly, I'm more than a contributor. He's probably all NBA caliber, despite the fact that his last game was really, really bad. Uh, when he is on, he is on. And their first in offensive rating as a result, they do a great job of staggering, where they have Harden lead all of the minutes that Embiid isn't out there. And I think Harden is a little bit more well-suited to do that than Jamal Murray is, because Harden has done that for a team before, for multiple seasons, as at an MVP level. Uh, Murray just hasn't done that, and it's a new thing for him for sure, but uh, he's going to have to improve. He's going to have to get better with it, Uh, but they're eighth in defensive rating as well, the Sixers are, and they've really taken it to heart to be great on both ends of the floor. That profile that I'm looking at there, 11-3, and 
First in net rating, first in offense, eighth in defense. It looks a lot like the Nuggets for the time where they were really trying, where they were far and away the best offensive team like the Sixers are right now, and then they were still top 10 defensively. That's the formula. I think if you are a team that has a center that is unstoppable, that is the formula. You want to be able to score at will, and you want to be able to get enough stops to make a difference. It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to go uh, to Bucks levels or to even top five levels. You just have to make stop, get some stops at the right time. Uh, the Sixers do a thing where with the staggers that they have, I, I do think that Harden most of the time staggers with that bench. But if Embiid staggers with that bench, the Nuggets are going to have some questions. They're going to have some questions on whether to play Zeke, whether to play Thomas Bryant, whether they go small and they play Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green. Uh, I don't know what they can do. I don't know what the right call is for that particular group. But what I do know is that Denver has to be way better, way more consistent than they have been in the last couple of weeks with that bench. That bench has hemorrhaged points for much of that time. And Murray's going to have to elevate it. I think if I were Denver, I would stagger an additional starter. If not against the Bucks, then definitely against the Sixers. Whether that's Aaron Gordon, whether that's KCP, whether that's MPJ, I don't know. But I wouldn't just stagger Jamal in those moments because I do think that the key matchup outside of the obvious for that particular game is Jamal Murray versus DeAnthony Melton. Murray has to be great. He can't just be good. He has to be great in those moments. And I don't really expect him to be awesome against Drew Holiday. I, I don't. I think that Denver should be looking to attack the weaknesses of the opposing team. They shouldn't be trying to meet strength with strength in that particular matchup. So him going against Drew Holiday is dumb, uh, although he he has to continue to push the envelope. He can't just be scared. And, and he's not. Like he, He's still going to try to do what he can do. But Michael Porter going against Chris Middleton in that matchup makes a lot more sense. Now, Jamal Murray versus DeAnthony Melton, that's a bridge too far. Where Melton is a fantastic defender, he is a fantastic role player, does a lot of great things, and is pesky. He gets steals, he gets blocks, he does a whole bunch of stuff, and will be disruptive. But what Denver cannot have happen is they can't let that dissuade Murray from going off. Jokic is going to have his hands full. I think he can score. I think he will score at least 30 in that particular game. I think he's going to be doing some crazy stuff. Uh, And then Porter will have his opportunities as well. The real key, if Denver is staggering, is for Murray to carry the bench. Because I don't think a lineup with Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, Zeke Naji, that group is not going to combine for more than, I don't know, 20 points. Uh, maybe 25. And so you're going to need more from Murray. You're going to need him to be the guy when it comes to lifting up that particular unit. Those other four guys don't have to score if Murray is taking up most of the possessions and being successful with them. He's going to have to be great. And I obviously think that he has the capability to do so. DeAnthony Melton coming off the bench for the Sixers. He was starting at one point, but now I think they are going with Harden, Maxi. Tucker, Harrison, and Bede uh, when when they're healthy. Melton is back to the bench, and Maxi is going to be a guy that could potentially go off against Denver as well. He's been playing great lately, so that's obviously going to be a thing. And with Harden being the capable player that he is, Denver's going to need to have some guard play. They're going to need to have some production and some efficiency and some 
overall scariness from that level in order to be great. And Murray can't just be an offensive player in that. Uh, He has to be a defensive guy. He has to be able to stop or at least credibly guard one of Maxi or Harden. And if he can't, then Denver's got some other issues. Like They're going to have those matchups in the playoffs where there isn't going to be a place for Murray to hide. He's going to have to be a better defender than he has been for much of this season. And I think he will. I think he's shown signs that he can step up when need be. This is one of those times. This is one of those times where you really send a message. I think that he's capable of doing that. So we will see what ultimately happens with that one. Uh, I think that Denver probably still likely to win the starter matchups in that game uh, just because of the staggering that the Sixers do. But the thing with Denver's bench is they can't be minus 10, minus 15, minus 20. They've got to be minus 5. And because Denver, they're not going to get that much of an advantage from that starting group, especially if Jokic and Embiid match minutes. It's going to be one where Embiid's going to score. He's going to take 25 shots. And if he can get to 40 points, then it's going to be hard to overcome that. So Denver starters have to be great. They have to be efficient. They have to be effective. And they have to be connected. Uh, Murray's got to be great. And I think that he can be and probably will be, if I'm being honest. Like This is one of those spots where I think he steps up and does really well. But I'm not going to make a prediction. Once again, I just think that Denver, they are in for a major story shift over these next two games. Whether it's a good shift or a bad shift remains to be seen. Winning and losing is what it is at this stage of the season. Uh, Denver, obviously, they, they still basically have the one seed locked up. They just need to win enough games down the stretch in order to confirm that. But if they win both of these games, I think it puts them on the map again. I think it puts them on the map as a team that opposing teams have to be concerned about. You can't just approach a Nuggets game from the perspective of, oh, we're just going to slow down Jokic and then score on them all the time. Denver's going to, I think they're going to tighten up. I really do. I think they're going to be really good in these upcoming playoffs. Uh, Whether they are great or not remains to be seen. Other teams are going to have to be great in order to defeat Denver. Giving Denver wins in these situations gives them confidence and gives them a little bit of a boost mentally and just anecdotally to be able to step up in the right times, to be able to step up in the right situations. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. Uh, If they lose those games, I think it works in the opposite way. I I think Denver can make that argument that it doesn't really matter, but it is going to be a mental or emotional hurdle for them that any time they go up against a major contender, that they may just not be good enough. And if that's the case, if they if they believe that they are not good enough, or at least have those inklings that they're not good enough, then they're probably not. They're going to have to have that unadulterated confidence. You need to be able to approach those matchups from the perspective of we are going to be the best team possible. And that means playing perfectly. That means playing with high-level efficiency and execution. That means making limited defensive mistakes, treating it like a playoff game. These are tune-ups. These are opportunities to become the best possible team that you can be. And whether Denver does that or not, I'm not really sure. But I do have confidence. I actually I actually do have confidence that Nuggets fans are going to look at this stretch. National fans are going to look at this stretch and think, hey, we've been underrating the Nuggets. Maybe we've been underrating this team. 
Michael, hit that outro music for me. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to the show. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. I'm not going to be at the game on Saturday, so you're not going to get a post-game pod from me on Saturday night, but you will get a Sunday Weekends with Swipe Up on uh, this particular YouTube channel and on the podcast feed. So make sure to go check that out, of course. Uh, and, of course, make sure to go check out the MVP article that I have up 2,500 words on Jokic, Giannis, and Bede and the big men. Should be a lot of fun. I really appreciate all the love. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday. Bye.